Hello and welcome to episode 93 of the Tennis Abstract podcast. My name is Jeff Sackman from TennisAbstract.com and I've got a guest I'm very excited to talk to here this week and that is Bill Connolly. Hi there, Bill. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Bill is a writer for ESPN. He's mostly a college football guy. Uh, He's written two books, Study Hall, College Football, Its Stats and Its Stories, and the 50 best college football teams of all time. And I'm embarrassed to say this is probably the first time I've ever had a podcast guest who has (laughs) written a book that I have not read because my level of interest in college football (laughs) is, is so low it can barely be measured. But that said, if I ever read a college football book, it will be the 50 best college football teams of all time. Perfect. Because... Because it has an asterisk in the title. <laughs> yeah, and don't do that. If you ever write a book, by the way, don't make a, a an antisocial title because it just re- results in tons of clarification. So it wasn't worth it, even though I liked it. Ah, oh, man, that's a that's a shame. I remember. Do you remember the movie Face Off from? It's probably yeah. twenty years ago now. Yeah, I remember reading. There was a big controversy in the studio about. I think it has a it has a slash or something between yes. the words face and off, and. It was the same thing. Like the the producer really wanted it or something, but it was it, it was a nightmare. Like cinemas <laughs> didn't want to put it on their uh, on their screen. And nobody cares about this, so I'll stop talking about it. But but anyway, um, Bill Connolly. You can find him on Twitter at ESPN underscore Bill C. Of course, read his books if you have more interest in college football than I do. But we're not here to talk about college football or John Travolta movies. Um, <laughs> Bill is one of the many uh, like hidden tennis guys in the the media world and he finally was able to indulge a little bit and write at ESPN yesterday about Novak Djokovic so you can find his article why Novak Djokovic is the most consistent and efficient tennis player we'll ever see and I want to start out by talking about that and to go right into the nitty-gritty there's a really great data point that you found, Bill, that uh, normally people focus on Djokovic's backhand, on his return, that flexibility, that kind of stuff. But you pulled out something great of his his serve stats. Yeah. You found that he wins 67% of his first serve points that are decided within three shots, which is higher than tour average. He wins 66.5% of second serve points decided within three shots. That's way above average. And... That's not the sort of thing you think about as being something yeah. Djokovic is good at. I mean, those are those numbers that the the three shot point numbers are like the the Isner Federer domain. So, what do you think is going on there? Do you think it, I mean is his serve better than we give him credit for? Or is the second shot so good? What's up there? Yeah, um, and first of all, thank you for producing this data in the first place. Um, you know, from the moment I started writing about tennis for SB Nation a decade ago, I, you know, you write about it and you're just like, well, I wish this data existed. I wish this data existed. I, I think I know what I'm talking about here, but I like having the data to back me up. And and now you've got data to back you up and data to discover things. And and so I was really excited about having a reason to dive into the the match charting data. <clears throat> I, I think with, with the serve... Well, first of all, like as soon as I started finding the data, I started, you know, remembering things I'd read from 538 about how he tried to redesign his serve and it didn't it wasn't working for him. So he went back to the old one, added a little kick. Suddenly he could land the the second serve as like, you know, with barely any like five, 10 miles per hour less than the first serve. But he gets it in, you know, constantly and. Um, it, it really is interesting because it, w- what I saw from 
a lot of the Djokovic data is just basically he takes your your kind of assumptions like, OK, it's a second serve. They're going to serve to my backhand or, you know, once you get into a rally, just hit, you know, cross court, keep it, keep it to their backhand side. And, and eventually, hopefully you can leverage the point. Well, number one, he always he, his backhand's better than yours. So he's going to you, that's not an option for you, really. But as much as he hits to the backhand in general, he serves to the forehand on uh, even on second serves. He doesn't care, um, and and he wins with it. He, you know, the, he doesn't go with some you know a softer kick serve. There's a lot of slice involved, um, and and yeah, like the most interesting part to me was you know on deuce courts, you know he serves to, uh, wide. You know, most people serve to the body. He, he serves wide 45 percent of the time versus an average of 24 percent. And then on the ad courts, he he serves up the tee thirty seven percent of the time as opposed to nineteen. Like that's that was probably the biggest. You never see those differences in tennis. Like the percentages are all so close together. Whether you're a, like one of the best players or merely a good player or whatever, uh, but he defies the stats in that specific way more than just about anything else I saw playing with the data. And that's a that's a really interesting point that he he's willing to go to the forehand and I, I was just watching the the Nick Kyrgios Ugo Umber match from yesterday yeah. and Kyrgios had I mean it, it, obviously totally different sort of player than Djokovic but he has if he has a good wing on the server turn it's the backhand and Ugo Umber kept serving to his backhand yeah. at match point and it it kind of just felt like that's what you do so that's what he did right but it wasn't the smart thing in the moment and <laughs> do you think that if Djokovic is is smart to to serve more to the forehand given his game is that something that other players can adapt or does it only just work because Novak is so great well it does shine a light on the fact that you know as a tennis player um you know number one <clears throat> you don't have a week to to prepare for most matches um you know you're going to maybe you've got the the, the ability to scout a little bit but it's not going to be anything massive and you're just going to lean on the you know the the overall assumptions in your game second serve serve to the backhand serve kick serve and all this and and so it does kind of lead you to believe that I mean number one if somebody wanted to die to to really break down this data f as part of their game they'd start to notice some things maybe they hadn't noticed before but um, yeah I think it, it anybody who can defy those assumptions and, and and of course do it well not just simply people do this so I'm going to do this even though I'm not good at it. Um, like it feels like there are advantages to carve out there. And, and, you know, especially it, it also kind of feels like if you've got a really, really good backhand, it becomes one of the best weapons you can possibly have because people have just been trained, uh, to lean on the backhand and, and avoid the forehand. And it, and it creates an advantage for Djokovic and plenty of others, I guess. Do you think that's, that, that's changing right now? Cause I, I think I, there's a there's something I remember from a column years ago that I think was something that you wrote that I've cited it so many times that I, <laughs> I forgot who it really was. But I, I this is crazy if, it's, if it turns out that it's you that uh, made the point that up until a certain point in tennis history, there was this huge gap in like expected forehand and backhand skills that backhands mm -hmm. were really just a defensive shot, often right. just a chip shot. And I mean, I guess he started to change that. But the guy who really became just bulletproof on both wings was Leighton Hewitt. So mm. the the Leighton Hewitt era came in and all of a sudden not everybody but a lot more players are are very good on both wings and Djokovic has kind of taken that to the next level. It seems like the the current wave of players who are coming up right now, I'm thinking specifically guys like Medvedev and Rublev, like 
they're more the Djokovic generation than the Nadal right. or the Federer generation, where they've they've grown up training to be able to to have bulletproof strokes on both sides. Maybe Sitsipas doesn't fit that mold, but I mean. It, do you think the game is changing even further in this direction where we're going to see less of a difference between forehand and backhand skills? I, w- I would hope so. Um, that, that wasn't me, but it makes perfect sense that it was Hewitt. And um, that gives me something else to play with charting data about, I guess. But um, no, I, it, it is the the evolution of the last 20 years has been you know super, super, super interesting. It almost fits narratives too perfectly. I have to watch myself in that regard because I have this whole picture of, you know, Federer, had the perfect game for his time. And then, you know, Nadal was perfectly built to beat Federer because he could play better defense than everybody, but he could still generate enough power from behind the baseline to um, to, to create enough offense to Djokovic couldn't out offense either one of them. So he leaned even further in the defense and fitness direction. Murray leaned even further and then apparently broke his body. Like it's, it's easy <laughs> to kind of set all that up in your head and it makes m- mostly sense, but that doesn't really fit you know, the, the the new generation to the extent that they are succeeding, which I, I mean, I, you know, sort of starting to, um, you can't out defense Djokovic. And so the way that, it, you know, people are trying to derive an advantage or create offense from, from places that, that the, I don't know the best way to put it, the standard game doesn't, um, it would make sense. And um, I, I hope that's the case uh, because I am really curious to see exactly, you know, if so-and-so was, was designed to beat so-and-so, I'm curious who's designed to, to finally knock Djokovic out of the top spot. Uh, and, and hopefully the answer isn't Nadal because that would be way too uh, predictable for tennis. So hopefully it's somebody new and I'm curious exactly how they go about it. Yeah, I, I wrote something, I think it was in The Economist, uh, maybe maybe two years ago now, maybe last year's Australian Open, but my my sort of hypothesis was that as players are taking more and more chances, you see guys mm-hmm. like Medvedev and Tsitsipas who do have good all-around games, but they're more willing to, A, go big from weaker positions, and B, attack people's strengths. Yeah. So I, I think I, I looked at a Tsitsipas match where he, he went after the Djokovic backhand a lot. Uh, and and maybe that's it, and that sort of circles back to what, where where we started. That there's there's a certain established set of tactics, <laughs> right. and one way we, one way you can improve is by surprising people. Um, so that that might be it, but it hasn't worked so <laughs> far. So so yeah, we could be looking at whatever Felice Algeali Asim can do. I I don't know. Yeah, I don't know of that um, of that like eighteen to twenty uh group i haven't decided who i think is is the most likely um you know i watched you know chorich a few years ago and i was like man that's the guy and and i mean he's he's good uh but he's not the guy or at least hasn't become the guy yet and so i've given up trying to, <laughs> to trying to guess it, it, we'll see yeah it's pretty much just picking picking whoever the guy is who will be the last man standing when the big four yeah. all retire at this yeah. point uh so so Everyone seems to agree the, the the Novak backhand is this this super weapon. Um, different players have different approaches to avoiding it or, or attacking it selectively. But is it? Do you think it's that the backhand is so good, or that Djokovic is just sort of supernaturally even that yeah. his backhand is as good as? Yeah, I think point? it's more that, and and it's not a backhand that creates. I mean, it's it doesn't end points necessarily. Um, and that was actually one of the things that I saw you know playing 
in that uh, the direct shot direction outcome data was that I mean he doesn't end like the the normal backhand ends about eighteen percent of points. He only ends about sixteen percent, and part of that is you know unforced errors, I guess. Um, and he's good at avoiding those, but just generally. It does feel like, you know, that's the thing that people lean on to get an advantage. And it's it's not necessarily that his backhand destroys people. It's that his backhand makes you realize, I don't ha- I don't know how to create an advantage against this guy. And so you start to search, uh, you know, otherwise, and you don't really find anything after that either. So that was the biggest thing. It's not, uh, you know, he'll destroy you down the line from any angle at any time. It's just that he takes away what you think is your best advantage against anybody. And, and you don't know what you have left at that point, because he's also, of course, you know, the best defender in general from either side. Um, and it just, yeah, it just, it, it takes your soul away. You have no idea what to do once you realize that you have no advantage whatsoever on the backhand. Yeah, he, there's so many things he's he's good at that sometimes it's tough to focus on on one of them. And one thing I noticed in the the, the Twitter re- reactions that started coming in on mm-hmm. on your piece yesterday is there's this core of Djokovic no. fans who um, can get defensive. <laughs> let's say. Um, they have been besieged living in a world of Federer and Nadal fans, and they band together to defend themselves <laughs> against these attacks. And I mean, some of them are very smart and they do this in very intelligent ways, but there is a sort of defensive mentality. And I wonder if there's like, I, I don't want to get into the psychology of the, the of people on Twitter, but in, in tennis fans in general, do, do you think it's harder to, to get a handle on the greatness of a player like that who doesn't have just the one like, signature devastating skill like like Federer's right. serve or Federer's <clears throat> forehand or I mean Nadal's banana <laughs> shots or Nadal's ad court serve I mean you can list three or four for both of those guys for Djokovic if you start listing things you start talking about defensive skills which are tougher to get a handle on or your list goes on and on and on I mean is, is it just tougher to understand the greatness of someone yeah like I think that? so I mean number one he's beating Federer and Nadal who are beloved in their own right and so you know that that's going to cause a lot of resentment as is um and and especially when you're doing it as more of the Terminator than the artist um yeah I, I think it's he's kind of the perfect foil in that regard it was funny i mean my my interactions with um with tennis twitter in general or or not tennis twitter but um single player fan twitter um you know i wrote a few years ago at sb nation just about you know the difference uh, nadal and longevity and you know can the grind he just the the nature of his game can he hold up of course he has i mean he's suffered more injuries than than others or at least i guess federer is catching up in that department now but um the the reaction from nadal twitter so to speak was was very aggrieved very defensive very uh just how how dare you you know and i think part of that's just the nature of rooting for one person as opposed to a team um you know you you you're not rooting for a jersey in a, anymore you're rooting for everything about this one specific person whoever you've adopted i guess and that alone makes it a very defensive environment uh, because any anything you question or doubt becomes a personal uh attack and so that's part of it uh, but the other part is that Djokovic yeah has um you know he, i don't know the best way to put it he's not the, the you know the off the court to the you know he, he's not necessarily he's he's very unique i'll say and um 
maybe he's harder to for some people to like just in general you add that to the terminator aspect of his game the whole you know he doesn't play his best until he starts bleeding kind of thing and um yeah he becomes a very specific type of person to root for and a lot of people don't want to do that yeah there's there's definitely more things that Djokovic does that people can right issue with again i don't i don't even mean i don't even mean that as a negative thing about anything he does like the 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 most recent news is him trying to to not make demands but make requests on behalf of his fellow players who are in quarantine Mm -hmm. like he's the one who did it so if that's going to become a lightning rod he's the lightning rod and we're at this weird moment where people want to humanize their heroes (laughs) but they don't want their heroes to turn out to disagree with them about anything ever yeah, we want a hero. We want and, a hero who is who is infallible. Yeah, but we want we want a human hero. <laughs> we want them to have a quirky opinions. Just like we want Naomi Osaka to have these these quirky characteristics, which she does, and somehow she's pitch perfect in this way. I mean, I, I so maybe that's a counterexample to what I'm suggesting. But the people who people who are quirky tend not to be super agreeable about everything. <laughs> no, I, I think you've and got Djokovic certainly yeah. isn't. No. Uh, well, no, that's because that is a good point. We appreciate uniqueness and things who people who look at the world differently. But when you look at the world differently, a lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times there's a reason everybody else looks at the world in a specific way. There, it might be right. And uh, you might start to, you know, be a contrarian just for the sake of being a contrarian. And, and that kind of goes off the rails pretty quick. But he does. It was because I remember thinking in whatever it would have been, 2010, maybe um, right before he picked it up where, where I was like, man, I think Djokovic could be would have been one of the best players ever in a different generation. He just got screwed. I know I wasn't the only person thinking that way. Uh, he just got screwed by timing because how is he possibly going to beat Federer and Nadal? The fact that he figured out how to beat Federer and Nadal, the fact that he fig- you know, figured out how to get more fit in sometimes creative ways and um, you know, create even more defense than uh, a Nadal type. The, the way he figured out a way to carve a niche is just mind-blowing and, and he deserves you know, whatever personal feelings. Uh, the, the game he crafted for himself, it's kind of crazy to see how he went about it and how long he has sustained it yeah i mean and that's a a whole other topic that we won't really be able to delve into here but you you wonder whether like whether him figuring that out has advanced the game more than if he came along in a in an easier era like the fact that he was forced to become so great kind of i mean and and most people can't figure that out um but he 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 figured it out and 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 again we'll see like i do think you can't go to further limits as far as fitness and defense goes so it really is just about how you know who's able to figure out how to carve out more uh, attacking uh maneuvers now and and it is it is a race in that regard i'm curious who wins hopefully not riley opelka it occurred <laughs> to me that that's the that that's the yeah. type of game that could throw him off um, so since we're talking big picture stuff now, I want to jump ahead on on my my list a couple spots. The, do you think Djokovic will get twenty slams? Yeah, I, I see. I, I mean, I was I'm a Federer guy, you know, because everybody has to be has to choose one of them. I've been a Federer guy. My my one goal is that Federer and Nadal end up tied because I think that's pretty poetic. I don't think it happens now. I think Nadal probably passes him, but I've accepted for years that Djokovic is going to pass both of them, and and you know, it's really just about buying time. The fact that you know the the stupidity at the U.S. Open happened, you know, that bought both Nadal and Federer some time. But yeah, no, I, I don't see how he doesn't end up with the most of them. 
And <clears throat> if he does, or maybe if he, even if he doesn't, do you think Djokovic is the greatest of all time? I I love the goat debate, especially in tennis, because you can like because it's an endless debate. We can always say, you know, well, if Federer made Nadal raise his game and Nadal made Djokovic raise his game, then that means Federer is better, right? Uh, we can we can always spin it around, but I mean. You win more slams than Federer and Nadal. I think your case is really, really, really good at that point. Yeah, that's a. I appreciate that you managed to do that in like two <laughs> sentences, which is the sh- the shortest answer to an open ended goat debate question in the history <laughs> of the tennis goat debate. So, kudos. We should probably just stop yeah. this episode now to celebrate how great that is. Uh, but zeroing back in on on this week, you you mentioned in your piece that you know, Djokovic does have some obst- mm. obstacles to go. Obviously, this is a Grand Slam. Uh, fourth round, he could get Milos Ronic. Quarterfinal, he could get Zverev. Semifinal could be uh, the winner of Team Kyrgios, which is going to happen in the next round. The final, obviously, could be Nadal, but Nadal is dealing with some back right. issues. So it could be Medvedev, Andrei Rublev, Stefano Tsitsipas. I mean, there's a lot of guys out there who could challenge him. Maybe we wouldn't say they're likely to beat him, but we'll make him work. Is there any name in that list you think is a particular threat? Well, team has confidence that the others don't necessarily... Well, I mean, Nadal aside, um, you know, team has a level of confidence that, like, I, I can do this. And in that... You know, we I think sometimes in other sports, you know, we might overstate the intangibles or belief or anything like that. In tennis, clearly, the, the most individual of individual sports, clearly it matters. We've seen it matter a million times. And, and the fact that team has pushed Djokovic at 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 Mel, in Melbourne, um, the fact that he's got the slam title that so many others are searching for. I think that alone helps him immensely in that regard. And that would be what a semifinal matchup, I guess. Um, That's the one that I would circle the most. Nadal is funny. Like we lost our internet this morning. So I only got to watch the last set of the Nadal match and, or even not even the full last set, like the last like six, seven games. Um, And I'm watching this like, are are we sure his, his back's hurting him. Uh, They keep saying it. And I don't see any evidence of this. Maybe it showed up earlier in the match or something, but he just looked like Nadal uh, that at the end. And so I got to figure he's, he's the favorite on the other half of the draw, but you, I I do love that there are so many other guys now who can at least challenge, like nobody has broken through except team, but the Rublevs and the demon R's, not only the, uh, you know, the Medvedevs and the, and the Tsitsipas's so many guys now that, that are at least a challenge and are offering something a little different. And that makes for a a more fun tournament, even if we just end up with Djokovic in it at all again. Yeah, I I could not agree with you more. And for me, even even Daniel Medvedev alone, like the fact that he's out there as sort of a floater, like he's the first name that comes to mind for me as someone who has enough confidence to do it, definitely has the skills to do it. I wouldn't pick him in a head to head, but. He's the guy that makes the draw yeah, interesting. And I like, by the uh, way, the, the the balance of the draw, because I like Medvedev. Maybe it's just because I'm calling back to 2019 U.S. Open with Nadal. But, you know, the fact that they could be the semifinal on one side and Team Djokovic on the other, those are, I like those matchups more than like Team Nadal and Medvedev Djokovic. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And of course, they all have to, they all have some work to do before they get there. So you wrote something, I think it was a year ago, maybe two years ago. I don't even remember what year it is. But you wrote something about the differences in men's and women's tennis over time yeah. and how how there's been different levels of of parity in the games. And obviously we're talking about these era, this last 
couple decades where men's tennis is extremely stratified. There's these few winners. Women's tennis at some point during that time has been a lot more even. Lately, it's been extremely even with pretty much a new winner at at every slam. Uh, I mean, do you have a personal preference? Would you you rather see uh, the game be more even than have a couple of regular yeah, and this is the worst podcast answer possible but yeah i think that i mean the uh, splitting the difference between the men's and women's is kind of the best place because um you know it does feel i mean again i'm a federer fan if he wins if he somehow comes back and wins four more slams that's amazing and i'll it'll be a thrilling to watch and if you know nadal keeps it going or whoever like that all there is a, certainly a positive aspect to that, but I mean, we've wasted like an entire generation of the, you know, the Nishikori Ranich generation, which injuries were involved there. But, you know, the, the whole generation has passed where like, unless you count team as a member of that generation, like there was no breakthrough whatsoever. And um, that's a little frustrating too. Women's side has, you know, has been the exact opposite in every possible way. Um, so many people have broken through, but I like remembering who won a given slam. Like it's, that's really easy on the men's side and on the women's side, I have to think about it. Like, wait, was that 2018 or was that 2019 when she, you know, I, I you know, it, it becomes hard to keep track of after a while, which means, you know, great depth. I mean, the, the you start to look at some of the fourth round matchups on the women's side. You're like, wow, that's you know, slam champion versus slam champion and all that, and that's awesome. But it, I think it would be a, at least a little better for the women's side if uh, if a handful of people, three, four players, you know, maintained that breakthrough for a little bit longer. You assume Barty will. Um, it's hard not to assume that at this point that she'll end up with with a few slams, but um, it, so many other players, you're just kind of waiting to see. Okay, you did it once. Now, now do it two or three times. And you know, part of this argument is just best of five versus best of three. Of course, um, you know, we we don't. I don't think we talk about that enough, or at least on television, you don't see that talked about enough. Just the fact that you know the better player is more likely to win best of five than best of three. So it is going to be easier for a just a random run on the women's side when it's a different tournament entirely but there also hasn't i mean as dominant as serena has been there hasn't necessarily been even if it was all best of five i think we were still seeing a lot more variety on the women's side so of this crop of young women you mentioned barty and you mentioned wanting to see a, a, a few of them emerge and stick around for a few years uh i mean we've got Naomi yeah. Osaka, Iga Fiontech, Sofia Kennan, Arena Sabalenka, Coco Goff, a couple of years behind behind them, Bianca Andreescu yeah. coming back now. I mean, it, it's a really long list, and I could probably name like at least five or six yeah. more to throw in there. And with the with the warning that there is a right answer Uh-oh. on this podcast to this question, um, are there a few names on that list that you you think are most likely to emerge as the the favorites for the next I don't know let's say the next five years of women's um, tennis? I don't I don't know if this is a uh, what I think so much as what I prefer. But Andreescu and uh, Sviatek are my favorites to watch of that bunch. I'm sorry, ah, that's the wrong well answer. it was fun. I appreciate the time. Sviat, <laughs> uh, I'm willing to accept Sviatek. <laughs> Uh, and you know it's tough because I, I I like them all. One of my friends always gives me crap about that 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 I like pretty much yeah. everybody on the women's tour. But no, I mean I I I, I am full bandwagoning Arena Sabalenka. <laughs> She's going to win the next twenty slams. I, but I I will forgive you for not 
following my. So that's why you're on. Okay, that's so why the ELO rankings prefer her to Serena in that uh, part of the quarter. I see. Yeah, exactly. I, I I never do this except for Serena. I just I just up her Elo right. ranking, an artificial two hundred points. But no, I, I I will stop interrupting you with my own oh. silliness. So you said you said Fiontek, Andreescu. Who else do you no, want to see? I mean, it's it's uh, it's kind of lame to say Osaka, but I really enjoy watching her too. Just um and and the way that uh you know her her game has evolved or the way we've seen like an entire career arc in the last two years, um, you know, breakthrough, uh, before slam, kind of like what Andre Eskew did, I guess, um, you know, breaking through and then maintaining that breakthrough in the slam, beating Serena, becoming a top name, becoming a little overwhelmed by all of it and all the attention and all the off court stuff. And then breaking through again, like that usually takes much longer. Um, and it, it blows my mind to think about, you know, it, it's been what, three years since Osaka, became a potential top 10 well not potential but became like broke through and, and maintained it feels like it's already been six or seven years um but her game is very very pleasing to the eye and and the fact that she's likely to maintain this like that i don't i'm not disappointed saying any of that um but no after that i mean the personality involved in players like her and and sphia tech or whatever that's the other part of this whole deal it's just really fun watching these players develop um and that's not something you can always say about tennis the best players aren't always the most fun to watch or the most fun to you know get to know in interviews and everything else um and and right now there's just a whole lot of really fun personality and it's it's bouncing against what's been a pretty good generation of the halops of the world um you know the that generational aspect of you know those the halops are the ones that are peaking right now but all these other players are catching up really 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 quickly and that could make for a lot of well a lack a continued parody i guess over the next couple of years yeah it's 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 tough when you're when you're thinking oh yeah we're gonna have some names emerge and here's a list of the 11 of them (laughs) who are going to do that uh, so with Halep still at or around her peak and all of these yeah. other players who are pretty much ready for primetime if they're not already there, does Serena Williams win another slam? I, I A year ago, I would have been like, oh, of course. You know, you, you, she makes every final. Of course it's going to happen. Um, I still think it probably happens, but it's very... It's easy to talk yourself out of that now, or it's easier than it was just because so many other players are presenting obstacles and, and, you know, not even getting into the fact that, you know, the last, you know, she's played a few finals where the opponent just played superhuman and, um, you know, the, the, the meaning behind all that, just the, the sheer number of high quality players is going to be tougher than I maybe thought it would. Um, I, yeah, we're, we're going to assume it happens, uh, because she's still so good at advancing into the late rounds of a tournament, but man, I'm not nearly as sure about it as I was a year ago. Yeah. And when you, like you pointed out when you have Sabalenka as your obstacle right. in the fourth round, like when, when stuff like that starts happening in the beginning of the second week, that's, that's a yeah, lot. Sabalenka, then maybe Halep, then maybe or Sviantec, obviously, or then maybe Osaka, then a Barty or whoever. That's a lot. And um, she can do it. But yeah, just from a pure odds perspective, it's not like she's got a 60% chance of winning the tournament. She's just, she's just a member of the field and that makes it a lot harder. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, I think you told me that you have another 
piece in the works on Serena. I don't want to you know, jump the gun on any of that, but can you sneak preview any <laughs> yeah, I think of that stuff? We've, uh, you know, the one thing I always enjoy about stats, it's helped me a lot on the college football side, on the soccer side now too, just the storytelling potential, being able to make sure that I have a clear piece, clear understanding of here's what I want to say. Do I have the data to back it up? Um, you know, finally getting to fully dive into match charting data. I now have 14 million ideas that I want to pursue, but one of them is pretty obvious. And that would be how has Serena's game changed uh, from, you know, the early 2000s to the early two, 2010s to now, like how is she adapting? Because it is, I mean, the game is changing to whatever degree and she continues to make slam finals with semi-regularity. You know, she has adapted to a certain degree and, and just being able to, to have the data to back up, you know, how that's happened that I'm really looking forward. I don't, I mean, she has to keep winning and um, you know, we, we have to, you know, make sure that's the, what we're pursuing, but I know I'm going to pursue, pursue that at some point. Um, and then of course, you know, the, the, the potential for you know all these up and comers on the men's side. What's what separates Medvedev from Tsitsipas from to, from Team from Zverev and all that? Just kind of getting a player profile because they've all they all get lumped together as the next generation. They're all big hitters. Uh, being able to separate them out with data, I think, is going to be a lot of fun too. Yeah, definitely. Like I, I think it, one of the Twitter comments that. I think it was just mm. on on your article, but I'm getting all these notifications <laughs> That's right. because Sorry. I mentioned in the tweet. Thank, uh, thank you for that, Bill. Uh, was was that it was it was a great piece because it, it, it unlike so much tennis writing, even in, involving stats, it really just profiles. Yeah. A player. I mean, it, it's bizarre that that's something that's <laughs> uncommon. And I mean, I'm kind of talking to myself since I could do it more too. But you know, once you get past the top few guys or or top few women, then there, there's not a lot happening. Like people right. don't know a lot of like details about players unless they dig them up themselves. So I, I wanted to ask you in general if you thought ESPN should have more tennis coverage or if there's certain ways they should they should cover tennis more it seems like that would be one of them are there other other thoughts you'd like to pass along <laughs> to the decision makers at your employer about yeah, how to cover tennis? great you're doing perfect in every possible way i know um no i do think you know give bill right. Connolly a raise um, i i do I felt like that was a lane that could be explored, just the aspect of what separates one player type from another, or not player type, but one player from another. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, there are opportunities to keep doing that because, yeah, it's so easy to turn uh, tennis into human versus human, per like just everything's about the person and not the, the person's game. Um, it's so easy to do that, and we all do it constantly, but... It, Games are different, and I don't think we've necessarily explored, it, whether it's ESPN or even the Tennis Channel or anybody else, I don't think we necessarily explore like strategy enough because once you get into points, they're long points. It's, they all take you know similar feels. You know, you're trying to get leverage the game over to the other person's backhand and whatnot. Uh, it is easy to kind of just to to forget that everybody's a little bit different and trying to do slightly different things uh within those similar points and um again like the fact that this data exists now it's I, when you started doing it i was so uh, however many years ago that was i was so hopeful that it would get to be this huge database of you know five ten million points and whatnot be, for this exact reason because i thought there was a, a an uncovered potential there and now you got five million something points and uh you know lots from a, a lot of different players 
stories and it's going to be really fun to to keep playing with that uh, and i hope other people do too yeah i i <laughs> echo that 100 percent. and yeah I've, I've pitched similar ideas around a little bit and it always stumbles for some reason or other and again i mean i can just throw it on my blog if i really care about it that much but it's it, it becomes a virtuous yeah. cycle too that the more the more you think in those terms the more yeah. you watch tennis with that knowledge so i mean I, if if I had watched the Djokovic match on Monday, I, I wouldn't have paid attention to his serving <laughs> to the forehand. But, you know, if if I watch Djokovic's match tomorrow, then, I mean, I, I'm not going to be taking notes, but but yeah, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to notice that. And it, it, since I, I mentioned the piece earlier about Tsitsipas attacking Djokovic's backhand, I noticed that kind of stuff now. Like, the, and when I mean I come from a, mm. a baseball stats background, there's so many subtle analytical things that any baseball yeah. person <laughs> notices. I mean, it's what the commentators talk about nonstop, and there's a whole level of that that just doesn't happen about tennis. But it's not that far away, right? I mean, we don't have to do that much work to know what. Yeah, to no, watch I think for. you know you just have to see other people doing it. Hopefully, you know, it, it you do see more people going in this direction because it does. Um, and, and tennis is r- really hard. Like I'm, I keep forgiving people now, but I, like tennis is really hard in that you know it's a big deal when Djokovic does something 55 percent of the time as opposed to the average of 52 percent. Like that's noticeable. That's like one in 30 shots. So it, it is hard. But when the data exists, I, I, that's what I've always uh, you know leaned on data for. I was I, I always say I was a writer before I was a college football data person. I just you know the the math makes sense to me, and and I like being able to not only verify or, or shut down the things I'm thinking uh, you know with this or that data but then also just being able to play with stuff and see oh that's interesting I've never noticed that before I want to watch that like you just said I'm going to watch them for this exact reason it's been fun on the soccer side at ESPN2 having you know stats perform data to where I can see that oh this team does weird stuff I'm going to watch them and find out like how that you know what that means to my eye and 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 what could be written about that or or you know what other teams could pull from that just you know being able to to pull, to tug on those threads is really rewarding and so seems like this piece did well i i hope it did well so that i can do more of them um and and then and hopefully you know others will follow suit so we, we've mentioned sb nation a couple times and you're already talking about some of the maybe not difficulties in covering tennis. You mentioned the the fact that we tend to look at it as a sort of yeah. a gladiatorial battle between people. It is not so much as something to be analyzed, but um, you spent a lot of time at SB Nation. I, I I kind of got a sports writing start with SB Nation writing about baseball. So the SB Nation sites, for those of you who don't know, are fundamentally organized yeah. around teams. Like the biggest ones are, are teams, universities. Um, so the, and that, that that's what most sports fans probably, follow in the world like they, they follow their favorite team and tennis is sort of an oddball in a, as a major sport that isn't like that and SB Nation had a tennis site mm-hmm. for a while um, it was never big by comparison with the, the the bigger team sites is that something fundamental about tennis or I mean would there would there be a way to to cover tennis in more of a, with more of an SB Nation kind of rah-rah I, you know it was, it was it was it Ben that ran that site I think uh, it, it, you know he yeah for a while i don't think yeah. for the entire time was it do you remember what it was i know because that was right was around when now. i was was joining sb nation too and I, i'm blanking now but um it yeah i mean 
it it would feel a little creepy if there was like a Djokovicnation.com, right? Where you're only talking about one person, what one person does. Um, you know, that I, I think that does kind of not limit it necessarily, but it makes it trickier um, to cover it from a fandom perspective. Um, I, I mean, unless, <laughs> I don't know, like th- th- it, that makes it hard because of the personality, the cult of personality aspect of it. But I mean, the, I, the biggest it's it's i'm struggling to figure out the right words here but it's a tricky sport to cover it is a niche sport it's a a big niche but uh, you know bigger niche than most but it is a, a little harder like um you know when i would have an idea for tennis as opposed to college football well the college football idea would get you know 10 times more clicks therefore let's do that one um so it is harder in that regard but no i do think there's something to be said about the difference between rooting for a person and a team um you know people like courtney who have been out there forever um and and with a you know general hooray tennis kind of attitude you it, it clearly can't exist uh you're a fan of tennis and therefore you're covering it as a fan like that um she's obviously done some amazing things for herself and and um you know making tennis more accessible especially on the women's side but you do figure there are some more out there it's just a matter of of getting those people clicks getting those people support getting those people um you know propped up and 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 being able to continue doing this and not as like a side 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 project that's part of it too i guess but um i i I, the people who have stood out in the in the tennis bloggerdom i guess or something close to that um have have made my interest in the sport so much bigger and i would hope that there are more people out there who can maybe who can maybe figure out that was a very winding answer i realized but um it is this is the sport i always played like college football was the sport i was always obsessed with because i grew up in oklahoma so of course but tennis was the sport i played and, and um you know anytime i, I discover little pockets of of other people who played it or obsess over it uh even if they don't if, even if they write about something else it's really rewarding and and i would love for that community to get bigger the Daily yeah. Forehand was okay. the SB Boom. Nation tennis blog. Um, yeah, those, there's a lot of a lot of good points there in your winding answer. And if if there is sort of a team analog, it's probably national yeah. affiliation. And some some of the journalists who are still kind of hanging on doing something mm-hmm. like traditional tennis journalism are the British ones, and <laughs> they are probably the most yeah, raw raw true. go team. Of, of their nation, even when there isn't a whole lot to, to cheer for. And you wonder whether there could be like a, an, an SB Nation <laughs> red, white, and blue tennis site or something. I mean, even, I mean, I, I live in Norway, and when I first moved here, I mean, there was there was no tennis here unless you really, really paid attention. Now we have Kaspar Ruud. He's a top 50 yeah. player. He's on the rise. He's trained with Nadal. Um, it's, in the, it's in the news. I mean, people... People occasionally even talk to me about it, which uh, is unnerving because I can't speak Norwegian. But um, it, it, it's in the it's in mm-hmm. the culture in a way that it wasn't before, and that's one thing that could be probably could be pursued a little bit more. Maybe not by SB Nation, but yeah, and to some you know, it does kind of remind us of another point where you know I'm sure in America tennis would be reading about tennis at least would be more popular if there was a top three men's American player, and that's been quite a while and so i'm sure that's part of it too if there's a breakthrough a um on the men's side uh, for an american maybe that makes a difference too but yeah no it's um 
it's an interesting landscape. By the way, Bodo Glimt is one of the teams I discovered from playing with stats on the soccer side, uh, speaking of Norway. Um, that's been really – that's been a really fun little onion to peel back. Like, wow, they're dominant. What, they score a ton of goals. What do they do? And, and, and following those lines, that, that's really fun to do. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's put us on the map. One, one football team and one <laughs> tennis player. And I, th- I think there's a Norwegian guy who plays chess. Oh, that, that that's, that's right? out of my purview. But uh... <laughs> no, I mean, Magnus Carlsen is the best chess player in the world. So that, that, that's a given. But when you have to call chess a sport that's, to fill up a true, sports yeah. section, then <laughs> that's where we stand. Um, but yeah, and, and I didn't intend to go down this road, but it is infuriating that it, it's it, it, people so commonly think that it, it, there needs to be a, yeah. a men's breakthrough. Like the women's because, side, I mean, imagine plenty, yeah. if exactly. I mean, uh, imagine if there had been a, a male breakthrough equivalent to Sophia yeah. Kennan winning the Australian Open last year. I mean, it, it's it, it, and it's a little bit bizarre. I mean, it, fans have have hugely embraced American women's tennis in the past, but it doesn't seem to be what gets people going now when so much of the coverage is around the the yeah. big three or four. So. Last question or two. Um, we've talked a little bit about these other sports now. I mentioned at the outset you're a college football guy and now now a soccer guy as well with ESPN. Uh, we've had a bunch of episodes on this podcast talking about tennis and, and baseball, at least as a as a as a, uh, a background subject. That tons of of people go from baseball analytics to doing tennis analytics on the side. <laughs> a number of hockey people, a few soccer people. Uh, yeah. Colin Davey, your friend, does golf as well as tennis. There's a, a, at least one basketball person who's done some some tennis analytics. I think you're the <laughs> only football, American football, tennis overlap that I know of. Any ideas why that normally doesn't um, happen? Why that's a good question. Um, I mean, I, I know how I happened, but I can't really speak to. Uh, how it is i mean well among other things if you're a football person you're a football person there might not maybe you can make the case that there's not as much uh branching out from there um i mean lord knows that uh, you know my follower i i used to joke for years when i would write for a tennis piece for SB Nation. like every time i tweet about tennis i lose exactly one follower um and so <laughs> there's definitely you know maybe it's just that football is so big that it, 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 you know, if you are a football person, it is your entire world, but I wish there were more. I mean, like I said, this was, I was always, tennis was always second to football for me because it was the, the sport I played, but, um, yeah, I don't know why there wouldn't be, uh, others out there. And, and there are some like, you know, the, um, like USA, Dan Wolken at USA today, he tweets a lot about tennis. Um, you know, the, uh, uh, Matt Zemek at you know he's sort of a college football person. I don't know what he's what he is first, but he's also a, a tennis person. So maybe yeah, he's definitely a tennis yeah. I don't know person. what you, I, I, I think I just right, yeah. I don't know what what his top label so sport would be. Maybe it's football, but it might be tennis instead. Um, but he does like both. Um, so yeah, there are they are out there. Um, but it, you're right; it has been a little less. Uh, less bountiful when it comes to to making the football to tennis transition <laughs> definitely um well maybe maybe people will maybe, the people who don't unfollow <laughs> you a few of your college football fan followers will will embrace the move to to work yeah. with some match charting data 
and become tennis stat heads. And <laughs> a boy can dream. So let, let's call that good. This has been fantastic. Thank you very much yeah, for joining uh, thank me. Thank you Bill. for having me. I'm excited. Um, I got nervous. Like, wow, like I, I'm talking to somebody on, in a recorded conversation and it's not about football. I got to make sure I know what I'm talking about here. Well, you could have <laughs> fooled me. Um, hopefully a few of our listeners will also be fooled. Um, so last round of plugs, um, Bill's article, which is on, on ESPN, uh, it's called why Novak Djokovic is the most consistent and efficient tennis player we'll ever see. I'll also post links to that in all the places you might run across it. Um, you can find him on Twitter, ESPN underscore Bill C and his book study hall college football, it's stats and it's stories and the 50 best asterisk college football teams of all time. <laughs> so thanks again, Bill. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll see you next time.